Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Corner Talks podcast. Today, I have a talented filmmaker, Laura Eden. How are you? How's it going? I'm good. I'm <laughs> Doing great. well. That's great. Thank you. Uh, Laura and I, uh, to give you guys some background, uh, we connected through LinkedIn. Uh, she saw some of my podcasts and I saw some of her impressive work, her impressive resume. Uh, you've been uh, quite involved in the industry, uh, both at Ryerson University, I should say. I'm an alumni there. So it's always a pleasure to see someone <laughs> attending the school. And as, like I said, as well, uh, the film industry. Well, I mean, I, thank you for that. I don't know. I like I'm still getting started um, and I'm like, you know, I'm still a film student, right. but um, I'm definitely trying to learn as much as possible just about, you know, like filmmaking also through like commercial jobs. Like right now, um, I'm mainly just making commercials for crypto chicks, but nice. Yeah, I wanted to get into that. Uh, but before we start talking about, uh, you know, what kind of career you're, you're pursuing, I want to know the reason for it. So why did you pursue uh, and get involved in the creative industry? Well, I always liked film. Like I thought that, you know, it was just like I loved watching movies as a kid and I liked acting. Um, but I think like once I got into high school, um, I started realizing like doing like behind the scenes work was a lot of fun. And I liked how you got to have more control of how a story is told. Um, and I, but I think like the, the thing that really just, I don't know, this is, it sounds a bit immature, but um, I'd see movies on Netflix and I was like, this is garbage. I, I can make yeah. something better than this. Right, right. And then I was like, I'm going to do that. And then, um, I mean, you know, a couple of years later and I'm, I'm trying to do that currently. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I had that oh, same. Sorry. Am I, yeah. Am I no, no, no. You're good. It, it cuts in and out, but that's Zoom for you. <laughs> but okay. uh, yeah, you're you're. Uh, that, that's you say made an interesting point. That's something that I can relate to 100. Um, percent When I see content on TV all the time, especially television, if it's not a streaming service, right? Just uh, you know, witnessing the, the stuff uh, they put on like cable, um, basic TV is just not the same like it used to be uh, back then. And you kind of like say to yourself, especially if you have a story formulating in your mind you know, and you're, you're a highly visual person like myself, you're, you're, you want to make it a reality, right? You want to figure out how to get there. And uh, it's been quite a process for sure. I'm sure you can relate, right? It's not so easy as you pick up a phone yeah. and get a bunch of people together. Um, just getting to that point, like, first of all, articulating uh, the vision in words, right? As a screenplay. I don't know if you're a writer as well, but, you know, yeah. just Oh, you are. That's right. Yeah. On, on your LinkedIn, I remember screenwriter. That's right. So you're exactly like that. Me, like writer, director, uh, filmmaker at heart. Uh, and you would probably edit your own projects as well. Right. Because you really want that control, like that vision. Yeah. Right now I do like my editing for the most part. However, I do want to work with like an editor in future projects or like I want to try to do that simply yeah. because um, one thing I've always heard is that it's really helpful when the editor was not on set because they're not looking at it from, we worked so hard to get this shot. They're looking at, do we need this shot? Because, yeah. you know, we need to make sure that it's always engaging and everything feels motivated. And I think mm -hmm. that having someone that wasn't, you know, like invested in making all of your hard work pay off, like they're just trying to make it, you know, work fully as a story. So I like, while I do like editing and I find it really fun and creative, I still like, I would like to work with someone for editing, like in future mm -hmm. projects or bigger projects. 
Yeah, a true, a true filmmaker, really like a professional, like the people that I always talk about on this podcast, like a Tarantino, Scorsese, they sit with their editors. Um, you know, they're not actually physically the ones like putting the pieces together. Uh, I know there's been times like James Cameron will edit it, but for the most part, they're just contributing, uh, you know, giving pieces of advice about shots and what was the motivation, what was their intention as a director. And then the editor ultimately decides, you know, how the information is to be perceived, interpreted uh, from the audience, right? And exactly your point, you'll run into the situation I know I have. Um, I'm actually in the current process of, you'll realize like clips are redundant. And it's like, mm -hmm. am I editing it from a filmmaker's perspective or am I editing it from how the audience is going to be perceiving it? Um, so you have to kind of shave it down. Um, even with sound, right? Sometimes, uh, again, you're biased to the situation. So you can't, you can't detect maybe what an audience member hears um, or how they're, they're going to be first viewing it. Because you've been in, in, even though we do short films, like it's not two year projects, uh, you still stay with them a long period of time, right? Whether it's a month, four months, whatever have you. So you, you become attached to them. And I think yeah. it's really hard to, to find that disconnect. But uh, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, you, you said it right there. I think uh, for filmmakers, maybe at our level or, or, you know, ones that are trying to make their way in the industry, um, are kind of either forced or take it upon themselves to be editors because, you know, everything is a cost. Um, mm -hmm. and there's just a, a lot of uh, back and forth. Uh, and, and again, I know a lot of filmmakers, I myself, in, you know, speaking for myself, uh, would like to see the vision carry all the way through, but, um, you have to entrust people in this business. Uh, it's a collaborative experience, right? It's, uh, you have to find like an editor, like you said, that's, uh, you know, more talented in you in a way that can bring your story to life and serve it justice um, while keeping it uh, concise and efficient <laughs> in, how, in yeah. how they deliver it. I think also just like making sure that the integrity of the story is always like yes. being there. Mm -hmm. um, because like, it's definitely interesting, like at my school, when we're working on projects and one person is editing and another person is directing, um, because then like when they're working together, there'll be times where you have to like, okay, is it, you know, is this like, do you just want to put this in there because you shot it? Or, you know, like, is this like just pointless or could we rearrange it? And I think that, um, I think like that's something about film school that is pretty valuable is that you have the ability to meet a lot of people and work with a lot of people because like you just like you often have to take on a lot of work if you're starting out but if you have film school there then you can bring in a lot of people or it's like yeah. it's a easier to get free workers well not free but you know what I mean like yeah yeah collaborative it. yeah they, they, they're doing it for the portfolio really right to mm -hmm brought in their experience. Uh, and that's something that I'm glad you brought up, you know, the idea of going to an institution for film. Like I can't, not that I can't, I know it exists. I just can't comprehend the idea of, you know, go to film school because at the end of the day, the professor is like giving you a rubric, a criteria, and you have to follow, you know, what they want to see. Um, so I'm, I don't know if that would compromise, uh, like you said, your integrity, or uh, if there's a student that has that unique kind of uh, artistic touch. But at the same time, I think film school, uh, unarguably can be uh, said where it's such an opportunity to meet like-minded individuals um, and create your network. Uh, that's something that um, I'm noticing the drawbacks of. Uh, obviously, you know, it's been proven you can make it without film school, but at the same time, like I just experienced a lot of, um, a lot of the challenges, um, you know, of starting from the bottom, like going to networking events, uh, connecting with people that I don't even know, uh, a lot of trial and error. 
right? A lot of people that <laughs> they, they talk a lot, like they, they're passionate, but then when it, when it comes to actually showing up, um, it doesn't work out. So I guess that's part of the experience and a film school doesn't guarantee it, but uh, it'll definitely help you, um, especially in a city like Toronto, where we're not known to be a film city. It's becoming an entertainment hub, but it's not like a Los Angeles. It'll help you filter through um, all the people uh, and what their intentions are. Mm -hmm. I think that it, it really depends when you were saying about like, like working with a rubric and like doing an assignment um, that has to fit within um, like, or like a film that has to fit within the assignment. I think yeah. it depends because like in my first year, I noticed that um, I think like the teachers were pretty like gentle with us, you know, they were very like, oh, you know, it's okay. Even when we weren't like, specifically like going within the lines of the project mm -hmm. and I thought that was helpful because it allowed us to like you know actually show off like what our creative style was um because surprisingly like there was a lot of different styles that I've seen within like my specific year I don't know about the other years I don't see enough of their work but um and then also like in like this year again with like we had like these very specific assignments um but what was cool about it was that afterwards we could see like some very different like genres coming from like this like like one assignment was show a love story except one person doesn't know the other one loves them and um mm. you know some of them were kind of like horror-esque some of them were more like rom-coms yeah um and some of them were more like family stories and i thought that was really cool yeah no for sure it's it's uh I don't think there's that much restraint, especially as, you know, the film industry progresses and like, you, there's so many ways in which you can distribute your content now uh, with YouTube. And, you know, I heard even uh, up and coming filmmakers getting deals with Netflix, uh, Netflix Canada offered, uh, you know, filmmakers uh, on our level to pitch. Uh, I was one of the 26,000, maybe even more that pitched. Um, so it's just, uh, there, there's definitely those avenues. And I think film school, film schools have adapted to that for sure. I, I've just run into some people that they've had issues, um, conflicts with the professors um, because mm -hmm. they had to, at the end of the day, like follow like a certain guideline. But uh, it's all about perception, right? Like at the end of the day, like put into perspective, you know, you want to be challenged that way, especially if you're you're new to the industry, especially if you're new to the craft, you want to be like you told, uh, like you said, told, um, you know, uh, there, there's a love story but one of the people don't know that the other person loves them, right? It's like you want to kind of force and challenge yourself and see uh, how can I execute that, uh, that story? Whether you're an action director, whether you're into sci-fi, whether you're into uh, comedy, you have to find a way to like make it work for yourself. Well, limitations often like inspire us to be more creative. Like with the Hayes yeah. Code, I know they had to try really hard to show that two people you know, we're, we're doing stuff with each other or right. like, I think, um, I think also though, like within film school, what you can do is, you know, you present one version to your class to get the mark and then you can just edit it later and put it off to film festivals. So you have the version that you want right. uh, and you can like, you know, do it and be like, you know, the auteur you're meant to be. Um, but then for, you know, like your class, you can appease the professor by like, you know, just doing what they want. I think like, I th 
you know, like it depends. Like you do want to stay true to like what the story is, but um, I don't know. Like, I think sometimes you can just like do it for the grade. Yeah, you have to know how to tweak it for sure, especially if you made it that far, right? You're not going to just drop out, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for the sole purpose of uh, re- retaining that integrity on your film, right? Um, but you made a good point. Yeah, you would you would kind of uh, edit it in a way where you're falling between in the lines if, if you have a really uh, strict kind of professor uh, regimented uh, guidelines. And then once that's done, uh, you can make your own version, right? I think that's a lot of filmmakers can agree with that. I, I always have my version on a backup just in case. Um, and I've learned the, the hard way that it's, uh, you should duplicate your, uh, premiere profiles <laughs> because yeah. there's going to be a lot of changes. And, uh, I think one time I was editing a, a short film and I made all the changes that someone requested. And then we looked at it again and said, oh, okay, half of them, half of the changes, he wanted to revert them back to my initial, to my, uh, original version. And I said, oh my God, I just wasted so much time. I wasn't, I was working hard, not smart. <laughs> so I had to go back and like, yeah, re- replace it. And uh, yeah, that's that's no fault, uh, but my own. However, uh, yeah, it's so important to have different versions and uh, a different way uh, to have your film, you know, be presented. It kind of scares me in a way. I don't know if it does for you that like film, there's so many inter- different interpretations. Like as a director, like I only have one vision for it. Mm-hmm. But I run into a lot of situations where, again, it's a collaborative experience. And the more people you collaborate with, the more people are going to interpret things differently and suggest different things. How do you handle that? How do you how do you go through that? Yeah, that's really interesting that you say that, because I find, um, especially like in classes, the way we, you know, write stories, um, especially I think like um, we've run into certain problems. Well, not, not my group, but I know other groups, like the way that they presented women, um, in their films, like they received some criticism for that because of like, you know, certain language that was used against them. And it's like, okay, is this actually helpful or is this kind of like regressive? And, um, I think like, of course, you know, your intent matters, but I think that if you do your research, you're most likely going to be fine. Um, I do a lot of research particularly in that because I wanna know for ways on how I can like, I guess just, you know, like they're empowering, but also it's like, it's fun to watch Um, because like, while I I understand that there's reasons for why movies, um, like I haven't seen Promising Young Woman, but I know like um, what people have been saying about it. And I think like, stuff like that it it has its place but like I'm more interested in making movies that like they're 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 fun to watch but also they don't um they don't fall into old tropes or outdated stuff yeah for sure you want you want uh your film to be as relevant as possible uh, unless it's a period piece that's what I was going to bring up like one can argue uh it's the context right like how people would talk in the situation right. in, in that scenario right like a big a big example for me and i'll bring i bring him up a lot but like tarantino django and chain he was getting a lot of backlash for the use of the n-word in his movie and they felt that he used it uh by his own liberty like he was having kind of almost having fun with it but he made a good point he said you know to really truly feel immersed in that time period i wanted to show how people treated that word how people uh spoke that word with such nuance like they just kind of said it without any responsibility uh any remorse and 
you know, the ones that argue, I can, I can definitely, you know, understand, right. It's, it's very sensitive subject matter um, that shouldn't be expressed freely, but at the same time um, it's fitting for the tone and what the filmmaker is trying to convey. Would you agree? Um, I kind of like, I see that point, um, but I don't know if it's like, I, I often find it's a bit of a cop-out to be honest, because I think that, you know, there'll be a lot of cases where people say that, oh, it's realistic, but movies don't have to be realistic. Um, there's plenty of movies that are, you know, period pieces, but they're not realistic. So then why right. does their dialogue have to be realistic? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, like if you want to show just how careless, like I haven't seen Django Unchained, so I'm not going to say that it's good or bad or anything. Right, right. Um, but like, if if you say that, you know, I put this in because of this, then um, I'd hope that he also made an effort to show what that word had, like what the effect that word had on people that it's, you know, negatively used against, like stuff like that. Oh, he just, did, yeah. And, that, and that's how, why a lot of people, yeah. And that's what a lot of people missed, right? Is that it's not so, it, it wasn't just said, in other movies, he, he, he used it. I was kind of even taken back, like Reservoir Dogs, because I'm like, uh, are these white people really just throwing around that word? But uh, for Django Unchained, uh, you know, the whole point of the movie was about slavery, right? And how, uh, you know, it affected the lives of black people um, and basically tormented them uh, for hundreds of years. So I kind of like, it, it kind of works into that uh, that setting. It was a very interesting movie, like the dynamic, because it, back to your point, it's it, it, was re- it was about a real life event, but it wasn't realistic because it was stylized mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so yeah. it's kind of the there's like a blur um and you don't know where to draw the line kind of thing um so i think that's why people were kind of on the fence about it but uh yeah for me it was more like i kind of as a filmmaker i kind of listened to what their reasoning is and on the panel he said the whole point is to create a dialogue is to get people to talk about that time period and talk about you know because i think up until that point you know, still slavery is still a sensitive subject matter, but um, it's uh, it wasn't as discussed, um, I think, to the point that it is now. See, like I see what he's saying by that. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'm not going to talk about the that the <laughs> yeah, film yeah. itself, but like I think that it's important that um, when you're trying to open up a discussion. Right. You make sure that the question is leading it into like a progressive direction because sometimes like if you're making you know you're talking about say like um gender inequality and if you start off the question by saying so do women deserve rights then I feel like that's just kind of like that's just not going to be helpful because you're like oh so should you know like it's already like it's kind of taking like a yes or it's a it's a yes or no yeah it's yeah it's kind of implied yeah like I think yeah it should be more like, so how, like, how are the ways that, you know, they're being um, unfairly treated? And then, cause then you can bring out the receipts and then you can show like in the ways of how, you know, there's, there's gaps. Um, but I think like, and so this is, this is not really like, like I, I can bring up a different movie to like illustrate my point a bit better. Like yeah. I thought, I personally don't really like the movie Borat that much because I okay. feel like 
Um, and, you know, like, I believe that, like, Sasha Baron Cohen, he's allowed to make Jewish jokes. That's his place. I'm yeah. not going to get mad at him for that. Um, yeah. However, I think that some of the jokes um, that were made when it came to, like, you know, people that were different races or, like, women, I thought that it was not really helpful because, like, what, what he's doing is he's sort of just reinforcing negative stereotypes but also like to their faces so he's harassing them for a film and mm -hmm. you know you no one um at least especially not like these days um people are talking a lot about how like directors cannot be abusing anyone on set it's not appropriate and it's not appropriate in any job like you can't for sure, abuse yeah. or harass people so yeah. then why is it okay for him to harass people for a mockumentary documentary film right um, yeah I'm, I'm I'm not like and you know I don't like I'm not in the business of canceling him because you know the movie's like it's been out for like <laughs> he already made a what, sequel <laughs> 2006 yeah and yeah. he made a sequel but like I thought the sequel I thought that worked amazing I thought oh, it okay, cool. worked because mm -hmm. he really like it, it seemed that he really took criticisms from the last one and he applied it um and also mm -hmm. he like chose to mainly stay in his lane as well as also like the there was very gender focused in the second one um to the point when I know that there's a lot of moments that made people uncomfortable and I think that works um for me watching it I didn't feel uncomfortable at one point um because I felt like they were more angled towards women and they made men more uncomfortable and that's kind of like I feel like that's, you know, art is supposed to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable, yeah. um, especially satire. Yeah. So I think that like, as long as the questions are being angled in a certain way, like I think that Borat 2 did it, but I don't think Borat 1 angled the questions in the right way. Yeah, no, for sure. That, that's an interesting that take. And I've never, no, no, for, hey, like, you know, that's, that's what I love about film, right? Everyone has an opinion, everyone's a critic. Um, there's no such thing as a perfect story either. And I can understand uh, what you mean, because when I watched Borat, I was very young. Uh, I didn't even know what to think of it uh, at first. Um, you know, I thought it was just uh, laugh out like gags and slapstick and whatever. And then you watch it as you get older. And that's with any film, really. Um, I always recommend to people like watch a film like 10 years later and see if you if you still like it, uh, because you mature as an individual, you change uh, your perspective, your views on the world. And you might not agree or you might uh, disagree. I mean, you might agree or disagree with the film, but uh, with Borat, um, I can understand what you're saying. Um, and my interpretation was more like, uh, even though I, there are at times when it got really dark and really intense, where it was like, wow, is this really happening? Um, I always took it as like a satire, like he's basically revealing the ugly the ugliness of some people of like how they perceive like the stupidity of you know how, how one dimensional they think of like jewish people or uh people from the middle east like you know the americans and basically he's putting up a mirror to america and saying you know this is this is what's really going on on the inside and the second one i enjoyed as well i enjoyed it more and i feel like i could be wrong i feel like he did a different angle too where he let the people um like he put the the girl, for example, in those situations, and then he let the people around around the girl instead of like provoking them, he let the yeah. the people around them like come out with the jokes and come out with, mm -hmm. you know, their perceptions, and uh, he created that conflict, right? Like he would just suggest things. He would have the girl just suggest things, like I want to get a boob job, 
And it was the doctor that was really like misogynistic, like, you know, yeah. explaining like yeah. why you need to get a boob job. And if you think about it, if you take a step back, like they just threw a few lines in there. They were obviously playing off of his, his comments yeah. because they couldn't believe it. And you as a viewer are looking at that saying, in that situation, you're like, you're taking a step outside the box and saying, wow, like this doctor, he's in the business for so many years. Like that's how he views uh, how important it is, whether he's a salesman, because he really wants that pro to sell his product or whether he does believe in those values. He believes that a woman's appearance um, is, is, is a, the ultimate uh, determinant of who she is as a person. <laughs> right. Well, also, like, I think that like in, in the first one, there's not really like a there's not really like a storyline it kind of just goes all around the place and then he yeah, decides yeah, yeah. he loves Pamela Anderson and then yeah. he tries to kidnap her at the end but in the yeah. second one there's like a real emotional core between him there and is, his yeah. daughter mm -hmm. and also like I felt like that more so exposed Pete like you know America and the dark side of it because in the first one I think in the part when he's like especially at the beginning and he's interviewing like the feminists like throughout the whole time he's just you know he's saying oh you look like a man oh you're ugly and I yeah. feel like um someone who's already against that watching this movie is of just course. gonna be like ha they're getting mad at him but they are ugly uh -huh, LMAO like right, I don't right, right. Think that would change anyone's mind by seeing that I don't think that scene is putting up a mirror I think he's just harassing some people in that scene whereas like I think when he was singing like the Kazakhstan like the fake national anthem yeah, yeah. Uh, to like all these like Americans in like a rodeo or something and then they start booing because he's saying that like we're better than you um and then uh, the Americans are like what do you mean um and then they start booing him I think that right there is like putting up a mirror because it's showing that like you know like I think a lot of people I know, at least if they like saw some person sing a song that was saying that like, oh, Canadians suck or whatever, they'd just be like, what? Like yeah. they just be kind of like confused, but they wouldn't get mad. Whereas I feel like, you know, there's definitely some people in America that don't like any, you know, like teasing or stuff like that. Like Yeah, yeah, like, for sure. Like some people don't have a sense of humor and it's been proven you know, with, with the whole like political climate, right? Like it's just insane mm -hmm. what's going on. Um, the only thing that would make sense is that there's so many people um, that when you have like the third largest population like that, um, the first world nation that has a voice in the world, uh, a major voice, I should say, um, you're gonna have a probability of people that are either crazy or uh, completely um, to the far right of the spectrum or, or far left yeah. kind of thing, right? Like it's just gonna, it's inevitable. Uh, it's also values um, like Canada, like you just said, um, we have a dominant middle class. Um, so I would say like normal average people, you know, go that live a comfortable, easy life, simple life. So what I'm saying is that you'll have situations like, let's say I would stand in Nathan Phillips square and start singing, Oh, Canada, like, you know, I don't care about this land. Like, people would either ignore me or just smirk and say, get down. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> but no one yeah. would go that crazy. Like who would go that crazy? Hey, there's always going to be that one guy, right. That would yeah, probably there, start a there fight. There will be like the, the, yeah. But yeah. I'm just saying, but like you said, exactly your point, I strongly believe, and I know a lot of people and nothing to condemn on and the Americans, it's just different value systems, right. They, they hold very true to their heart, like the whole constitution, right. Um, the values and principles of the founding fathers. So <laughs> They take it so serious, like the rights to bear arms. I know I'm getting political here, but it's it's the reality. I think it's I think that's the whole point of the Borat series, right? Is um, 
he's invest he's he's diving into the psychology of Mm -hmm. people right in this nation how they view the world too right like how they view people on another side of the world um you know him coming from kazakhstan i think that that was my interpretation the whole point was like when he would introduce himself to people a lot of people said where what um they were ignorant to where he was they didn't really weren't really curious um i think he even at one time was trying to be boastful about his country like what they do yeah. And he was immediately like turned down and said, no, I don't believe you were. So I think it's just a, um, an exposition, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I definitely think that um, also, like, because he used um, a country that it like, I don't know, I don't hear that much about Kazakhstan in the news. Yeah, like, I don't know if it's just me. Maybe I don't before know you anything. continue. I have to say, like, I'm surprised you used come to think of it like an actual country because people these movies yeah, are usually right. I was surprised about that, too. I think that's <laughs> another criticism that he got, like, particularly because Kazakhstan is like, I think it's predominantly Muslim and yeah. for him to make jokes about like, you know, the goats and, and stuff like that and like that, like definitely gives a negative impression on muslims and as well as like you know if if like a bunch of because like i think like a huge part of the borat audience is like seventh graders i'm not trying to like you know dunk on seventh graders but like they're gonna see that and they're gonna not really be laughing for the right reasons they're Mm -hmm. gonna be laughing because it's mocking people that they don't know much about so Um, they could totally and then you know I think like seventh graders are gonna like repeat those lines at school in front of a girl or in front of someone who's Muslim or you know like Mm. and and then it can have like a huge like you know like a negative impact for sure for sure well if that that's a very good point and that's something unfortunately that that comes down to like you know the uh the rating systems and the the parent like it's a, it's meant for a mature audience, right? Um, mm-hmm. But nowadays, the the issue you run into is you can access any form of media, right, with the click of a button. Um, if Borat is on Netflix, you can watch Borat, and uh, every child, like seventh graders, watching Borat. So for sure, yeah, they can they can access that kind of information and you know relay it. But a lot of people can argue like <laughs> it just comes down to parenting, and because I watched it when I was ten right? I'm a prime example. So I watched the first one, I was 10 years old. And I never uttered those words. Um, when I was out, like, in front of girls or in public, or if I had, I had Muslim friends. So it is possible to watch uh, a piece of content. I think it's just a matter of how you're raised. Um, and that's, you know, testament to my parents, right? Yeah. Um, they, but, but, but exactly your point, it's, it's kind of like, you don't know in those situations. I think, I think what I respect about filmmakers like that is they're so ballsy. Like they take those risks, take those chances and they want people to start thinking beside beyond the comedy. Right. Um, that's the interpretation. Again, that's, that's how I feel when I watch Borat. It's at first you watch it. Oh, it's like these stupid gags. And then you start saying like, wow, like, is this really how some people perceive um, certain nationalities? It's kind of like poking fun, like saying, look how stupid racism is do you know what I mean yeah I I see that but like I think that I I still feel like the first one was not anywhere near as effective as the second one was because I think that like um you know like with Stephen Colbert's show when he played like this Republican um caricature 
um, apparently it was like when when they were when they asked liberals about the show, you know, they like liberals enjoyed it because they thought it was funny. Whereas like what conservatives thought is that it was also funny because it was like he was like I forget exactly what the wording was, but they also didn't see it as mocking them. Like they saw it as kind of like, oh, it's funny that he's saying things like I vaguely agree with that. And like at the end of the day, um, if it's if comedy is sort of ambiguous, um, whatever your background is, you're probably going to just project it on to whatever the piece is like you're going to assume it's agreeing with you. Um, if it's done pretty well, you know, cause there's some cases where like, no one knows who it's for, but yeah, um, yeah I think that I, I do see where you're coming from, but me, yeah, I'm still more on like, I like, I like the second one a lot and I think it's sure, really, yeah. really brilliant, yeah. um, but I'm on, not on the Borat one train. I'm just, no, on. yeah. For, look, look again, you're entitled to your opinion, right? Like the, the second one, I, I will agree with you on that. Um, I watched it once and I already I immediately knew that there was something different. Um, it was more focused. And like you said, it had an emotional core. Uh, I actually felt for the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was like a natural chemistry. You know, the, the first one, I think it was more of guy humor, like debauchery. Like he's just on the run. Like there's not really much, you know what I mean? Like happening. There's, there's those things that I mentioned before. Um, but I can see why you enjoyed the second one for sure. Um, and as a filmmaker, uh, I appreciate it even more because that's something I wanted to talk about, right? Like storytelling, like the, the, emo- uh, the emotional core is so important. And whenever I develop a project with a friend or even myself, I always ask the number one question, why am I writing this? Like, what is the point? Yeah. Uh, what is the audience going to get out of it? Um, mm-hmm. And movies today, right? Like you, you see some of the ones that are successful and the ones that are not. If you take it apart, you know how... Um, that expression, love, love conquers all or love saves all. Right. You know, I've said that once on a set and people laughed at me and I said, I don't know why you're laughing. I'm like, that's, that's a central theme in pretty much any movie you watch. It's always about love or some kind of companionship. And, you know, we, we may laugh because we find it corny or or, uh, corny to say, but as human beings, uh, we desire that, right. We, we strive for that um, in our everyday lives. And, and just like movies like The Matrix, Star Wars, um, you know, Goodfellas, uh, Pulp Fiction, every, it, it all, there was always that like central of love, right? Like Pulp Fiction, I just mentioned, right? There's sexual love, romantic love, right? And then there's also brotherly love, like between Vince and Jules. Have you watched Pulp Fiction by any chance? No, I have not. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So I'm just like talking. Because I'm like, okay. yeah, the, the most like, like the film student movie like right. the young, the Gen Z. Well, I mean, also millennials. I think they love it too. Like just in general, yeah, yeah, like I'm a talking yeah. about it. And yeah. I'm just like, I still have not seen it yet, but um, sure. I, yes. We got to get you up to speed on, on some of these movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I don't know. Like I'm still if you have an interest, my way that's a big, through yeah. like the film bro movies. Gotcha. Um, gotcha just a lot on my watch list so i don't know one of these days i'll get to it um i just don't know exactly when well let's ask let, let me ask you this what kind of movies uh have you watched that you enjoyed or maybe inspired you even more to pursue filmmaking i really love campy movies a lot i okay. think camp is really cool because it's a great way to show complex 
ideas without talking down to the audience because right. they're in on the joke. Um, I think that Little Shop of Horrors, the 80s musical that I saw it, like it's directed by Frank Oz, I'm pretty sure. Um, I saw it a few days ago and I thought it was so cool because nice. Um, I think that like it's really fun but also like if you read between the lines at least I I read into everything right um, <laughs> I thought that I thought that it's kind of about how like poor people um, are often guilted into feeling like they're bad people for doing stuff that they need to do to survive yeah um, and I sort of think that that's what happened with like Seymour and the plant I mean of course like also he did feed people to a plant but I think that it's it's like a metaphor for that because um, also like in the very beginning of the film they show like you know like all the poor people are talking about how like they're like man this sure does suck and then like he grows with wealth and he's a lot happier however he has all this guilt inside of him um, and the plant is talking to him like oh you're a bad person you know you might as well just keep doing this um, and yeah and I thought it was just also it was really fun to watch um, and it, like I love the jokes I love the style of humor it's like you know on the nose for like a point yeah 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 for sure uh you, you said it right there right like when you're when you feel like the movie the people involved are in on the joke um mm -hmm. that's that's like one of the best things and um you know i'm i always i'm a big proponent of this movie iron man uh the first one and the reason why i say that is because even though it's not a campy movie uh you feel like they're in on the joke like everybody's having a good time i don't know if it's the same point you were making but i enjoy movies that like you just feel um everyone is working in uh, harmony, <laughs> that yeah. makes sense, right? Like they're not, there's no heavy, like even the heavy content that they're drilling into your head, like it, if you think about it, it talks about the themes like the, the, the war on terror, uh, like the Middle East and, uh, you know, selling weapons and, you know, the moral dilemma, but it's not, it's still a movie you can digest easy. You can, you can watch, you can have fun, but you know, at the back of your head, like, damn, like that's, that's a, that's a crucial message. Like that's probably what's going on to this day. You know what I mean? And mm. uh, I think it's just a different uh, approach for sure. But yeah, campy films, I have to get more into. I, I, I've seen them a lot. I've seen them reviewed. Um, I watch uh, a YouTube channel called Red Letter Media. Oh. And yeah. Oh, have you heard of them? Um, I've heard of them. I don't personally okay. watch them much, but it's very okay. big in like film students and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. I'm so happy to hear that. I always mention it to film people in my community and they're always like, who, what? Uh, but that's amazing that they, they watch it. Yeah. No, I, I uh, talk about dry humor. Uh, that, that's an interesting uh, uh, show, but they make some very good points. And that's kind of like between them and Nostalgia Critic. Um, have you heard of Nostalgia Critic? Yep. Yeah. Not, oh my God. Not a fan. Not a, of not a fan. Nostalgic. Oh my God. I like the nostalgia chick. Um, and I like okay. what she's gone on to do, okay. but the nostalgia critic, I am not a fan of in any way, shape or form. Why is he too uh, annoying? Like loud? In your face? Well, well, first off, because when I watched his reviews, I know he was playing a character, but there was something that just felt off about him. Okay. And then he also like his channel um, and basically him and like his, his, co-workers like there was this huge um scandal that was released about all of yeah. the abusive treatment of his employees and i, I felt like that. it it made a lot of sense because like a lot of his film because he made films also his films yeah, yeah. are super like they're just they're eccentric they're bad 
but in a weird way because obviously they're not trying to be amazing but also yeah. they're bad and yeah it's in such a strange genre of bad like i don't i don't even know how to describe the you flavor. can't even define it as quirky it's more like you just it's like the room you want to watch it but you you, you don't want to watch it but you are watching it right not well i kind of disagree because i think the room is really fun to watch and i think oh, okay as <laughs> like it's just like like it's it's kind of a sweet movie but i think like with nostalgia critic i find it just he's creepy and he's just like like he feel like when i when i see him talking i just feel like a bunch of spiders are crawling on me like oh I my just, god <laughs> everyone has a different yeah no everyone everyone has definitely a different opinion uh for sure uh when I first watched him, uh, when he came onto the scene, I think I watched one of his first episodes and I kind of grew with his channel. Uh, I was, I was taken back cause I didn't know what to expect. He was just like chopping up a movie. Um, and then like, there were times when like, I would watch, I liked when he would calm down, you know what I mean? Like, uh, he would put away the humor and he would actually explain why a scene doesn't work. Um, or why a character, like it would actually help me as a, as a filmmaker. Like, yeah, I, I take pieces of knowledge from anywhere I can. Um, and I think a lot of people can provide that, but for sure. Yeah. If, if you didn't take a liking to him, um, you know, I'm sure there's other people out there like that, but, uh, he, he was definitely entertaining for me, especially in my university years, uh, in between study breaks, I would just watch that. Cause it was interesting. It was fascinating to me that he would pick apart movies that like I grew up with. And I said, like, you actually have a problem with them. What the hell, what, what's going on? <laughs> um, like home alone and, um, the Spider-Man movies, the Raimi movies, and uh, I don't know, I, I just, I'm, I'm always curious and fascinated. And I'm sure you could say the same thing as a filmmaker of people's, other filmmakers' opinions about movies. Um, yeah. Because you know what I mean? Like you, like Django Unchained, I'll give you an example. Uh, when I watched in the theater, it blew me away. I, it was like a theater experience. Like I'm a big fan of stylized films. Uh, love is writing his dialogue and the way he put it together. And, you know, the sound was impeccable. So I come out of the theater and everyone's raving about it. I'm watching interviews after interviews. And then I come across uh, a really good friend of mine, my best friend, I should say, I grew up with. And I mentioned it to him thinking he's going to say the same thing. Like, yeah, that was so sick. Like, let's watch it again. And he goes, cheesiest thing I ever watched. I'm like, what? And it kind of broke my heart in a way because I realized it was a mature, it was a maturing moment for me, right? It, it's like, there's going to be people out there that are going to interpret and perceive provide a different opinion than you are. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's what mm -hmm. film is. It's a discussion. It's not, uh, you know, you, you a product. It's, it's an art form. It's also very, it's like super emotional. Like it's, I think it's the most emotional medium there is because it combines yes. basically everything. Yep. So like it, to make like a full-on experience but then also yeah. it's something that like it's but it's also accessible right because you can watch it on a laptop on a big screen on a tv you know basically on a plane you know in so many different places so basically anyone can watch them and also because film especially in the early days it was considered to be like a low class thing to do oh um, yeah it was a gimmick yeah yeah it was they, something they that used to like, put, like dirty move like like yeah old churches and stuff like that mm -hmm. well they would put like you know i'm talking like way back like when yeah. they did yeah. train sequences Mm -hmm. uh or you know um you know those slaps the the kind of like i wouldn't say charlie chaplin was in that category because he's considered a legend but kind of that humor right like you didn't see it as an art form it was just more like what can we do uh with this moving picture right um yeah. all these different antics 
And it's kind of like with video games, right? Video games, when they first started, were seen as just, um, you know, entertainment, like something to kill, kill the time, you know, uh, ping pong on the Atari or uh, even the Nintendo games, right? Platform games. And they got something like uh, a developer like Sony comes along and wants to create an art form out of video games. And, you know, you have video games like Last of Us, Uncharted, um, God of War, like, again, everyone's gonna have a different opinion on the storytelling, but you can't, you have to agree in a sense that it's become, it's taken another, taken on another form, video games. I don't know if you've seen like how they, how they look compared to how they look 20 years ago. And I've played I, these video games. That's why, that's why I mentioned, I don't know if you've like played Last of Us or heard of it. They're written like, like Oscar winning films. Like there's yeah, character I, arcs, three-dimensional. Yeah. I haven't um, played those games, but I do know that my brothers, like they play them. And um, also, cause I have a few friends that play games like them and I'm pretty sure they played nice. The Last of Us also. Um, and they talk about like the writing and it does sound a lot like how you would discuss a film, um, mm -hmm. specifically like the, the masterpiece films or like the Kino stuff. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. I had a podcast, uh, with my friend way back when I first started this thing. Uh, and we had a whole podcast episode or half of it was talking about the last of us as if it was a movie we watched, uh, much harder because a movie you watch it in one sitting, um, mm -hmm. But a video game, especially if you're busy, will take a month to, <laughs> depending on the time, right? Yeah. So you're trying to recollect all the uh, the, the important key moments. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm I think that's one of my intentions. I'll say right here on the podcast is to get to that point where I can even create um, uh, like a movie esque, a cinematic piece uh, through video games. Um, I think it's possible too, uh, like with with how technology is moving. Um, you know, you're, you're going to start seeing independent, I think they already started like indie video games, like people that yeah. make on their spare time. Right. Um, and that's, I think that's the impression I got from you when I looked at your resume, like when I looked at your LinkedIn profile is even though you're like screenwriter, editor, director, things like that, I think you identify yourself as a storyteller. Does that make sense? Well, yeah. Like I try to do everything, like all the filmmaking stuff that I do. I want it to be like always thinking about story and thinking like, do I need this? Because especially like in your early stages, it's easy to get like caught up in like, how do I make this epic? How do I make this like, you know, oh, very like thoughtful. But I think you want to like, I don't know, not think about like, how is this going to be super deep? I think just like think about like simple story stuff first. Yeah. Um, because I think like, if you focus on that, then you're not, I don't know, you're not focusing on like the, the easy pitfalls that a lot of students have with their scripts. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, the best movies, just to interject, the best movies of all time um, have a common, a common theme, like a pattern uh, is that it's very simple. You know, boy loves girl, girl doesn't love boy. Uh, Star-crossed lovers, like if you overcomplicate your story, you're just mm -hmm. overcomplicating um, the process and the yeah. viewers and, and the audience will, will perceive it in that way. Um, so what I'm saying is that anyone that's listening to this or even ourselves, like when we're developing a story, I think it's just boiling it down to what do you want this character? What do you want the story to be like? What like like a focused kind of narrative? Um, Borat is an example, right? The original. It's like, yes, he wants to go to the States 
because he's making a documentary, but then he falls in love with Pamela Anderson. Things, quirky things happen along the way. But Borat 2 was just a simple story. You know, yeah. he's going to America and with his daughter. And yeah, it's uh, it's really cool. I, I don't know how what your take is on uh, writing, if you struggle with it. Uh, does yeah. it come easy to you? Recently, I read Save the Cat, and I thought that okay. was an extremely helpful Same here. book because yeah. it just like it really breaks down because also like after reading it story structure is something that I'm thinking a lot more and mm-hmm. I think like the more I learn about it the more I practice it just like you know like it's, it's just the better you get you know it's kind of like working out you know gotta constantly do it for a consistent amount of time and yeah right down, and then you get bigger <laughs> yeah. um I think that like just the way how you know, like, especially learning about, like, like, the hero's journey and how, like, they have to first, you know, they have, you know, their normal life, then the catalyst comes in pretty early, and then they have to decide whether or not they're going to do it. Um, right. Like, like, little beats like that, I, when now when I'm watching movies, um, I'll notice it, and I think it's just really cool because I feel like I'm getting closer to learning how to tell a story properly. Good. Yeah, that's important. And, um, people don't realize too, right? The best way to, to write a story is to just start, like just start writing, mm-hmm. um, even if it is garbage, just start writing and finish your story. Uh, Tarantino, again, he says, finish your script. And as simple as that piece, piece, that quote is, it means so much to me because how many times have you're in a situation where you'll write something and you don't even finish the whole story? You have to, you have to give it, even if it is bad, even if it's a bad ending or you gave up on it, finish the story. And because you never know if you might go back to it. Uh, it also gives you that confidence to pursue your next story. Um, I'm in that habit of completing things that I start. Um, I know everyone's different, but for sure, if that's, if I can give anyone a piece of advice with writing is uh, set yourself some goals, you know, three pages a day kind of thing, mm-hmm. and then uh, finish it, <laughs> finish it as best as you can. It might take a year, but as long as you finish it, you'll be proud of yourself. But I want to get into now, um, because another thing why I enjoyed looking at your profile is it reminded me a lot of myself. I'm in film more so in the last two years than I ever was. And beforehand, I studied marketing at Ryerson, which you're studying at Ryerson right now. Um, well, I'm, I'm studying at Ryerson for film, but I am for film, yes. enough doing a lot of marketing. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So I'm saying like, yeah, yeah you're, you're, in, you're in Ryerson. You're in, you're in the uh, place I used, to, I used to study at. Um, and I want to ask you like, what how did you like pursue these two different paths and how did you how were you able to merge them together um well marketing kind of just like I I didn't make a conscious decision to do it I remember like growing up as a kid I often heard like here and there like you know Lauren you might want to try marketing I feel like you'd be good at that Um, And I thought that was funny because then in like the beginning before my second year of university, there was a position open at my, um, in my course union for like the VP of marketing. And I looked at the requirements and I thought that sounds like a cool job Um, because also like one thing I'm thinking about just a lot. And I mean, I know I'm, I might be getting a little too ahead of myself, but um, Canadian filmmakers there, like there's definitely like, quite a few ones that are popular but like not enough you know there's not enough Canadian directors because uh, if you're to ask someone off the street like name five Canadian directors they would probably maybe be only able to name one um and like you know 
maybe not even like because no one really thinks of them as Canadian directors because they don't really direct stuff in Canada as well like they do but and like the ones, you don't yeah. really think about it right like and they the ones, live in LA yeah and the ones exactly your point I just want to inject here the, the ones that do uh, that people don't even realize are Canadian. Like James Cameron is technically yeah. Canadian. He was born in Ontario. And um, they don't really uh, kind of showcase, uh, you know, their, their abilities like in Canada. They don't, uh, you know, it's not like Drake. You see how Drake, he's yeah. like, oh, I'm a rapper. I live in LA now, or I now live in Toronto, but whatever. He wants people to know, he wants the world to know, like, this is where I come from. This is who I am. Um, so yeah, back, back to your point. Yeah, 100% agree with you on that. And that's something that even for myself, I don't know if you have that same vision, like being um, representatives of uh, Canada, you know, on a world stage yeah. as filmmakers, I right? I want to do that right? badly. Like I want to yeah. try and basically make as much as possible, like things that take place, you know, in Canada. And I'd really love to do like film, like, you know, I want to make more films that like they are centered around like young adults um in yep. toronto or like maybe like yeah. i i've always wanted to do a film um that happens in banff because i think banff is beautiful it's really really I have gorgeous to visit. i heard good things yeah yeah i haven't been there yet but i oh, see you heard good things. photos yeah, yeah no i've seen good things and also because like i just i was like damn it looks so freaking gorgeous and i have friends that have been there and they told me about it nice. so i know i have to get to it yes. someday but yeah like i want to be able to like i learn marketing so then i can like practice it right now with like short films so then i can eventually like if i get my name out there like you know what i mean yeah and then yeah. i make my you know i want to build like a platform so then i can constantly promote like you know my films and also like my um peers's films and like yep. try and just make canada canada's film industry like as you know like stronger like i i know it's just on one person but i want to try and do as much as i can to help it for sure yeah no it's uh i think uh the the issue a lot of filmmakers run into is it's just highly regulated just how things mm -hmm. are run um i think that's what discourages a lot of canadian talent like another example denis villeneuve I think I'm pronouncing his name right. He did Arrival, right? Blade Runner 2049, mm -hmm. Scario. Um, he's wrapping up Dune. And an amazing talent, right? Like, insane. I love his style. I'm, I'm very much into that kind of style, uh, that cinematography especially. But if I didn't do my research, I wouldn't really know he was Canadian. Not that he needs to profess that he's Canadian and, like, really drive, mm -hmm. it, drive his point. But I like, you, I like what you said. Like, I like the idea of filmmakers that... You just know where they're coming from. And I feel like they should yeah. take advantage of those things, like take advantage of those stories. Um, and that's why back to your point about marketing, like I started myself a production company, 94 Productions, because it's like, I've always imagined like developing projects, not only for myself, but others um, collaborating and working together um, to create projects in Toronto. Because right now, right, we're just making projects in the city that we're from, uh, utilizing the landscape as best as we can. Um, but I always imagine, like, I'm sure you can say the same thing, like, being at a level where the world wants to see your film, like, you're, you're a follow-up director, yeah. but you bring it to, like, TIFF or you bring it to a, a smaller festival in Toronto, and, like, that's where the premiere is instead of going to, like, Sundance. So you kind of bring the world to your front door, to your doorstep. I think that that would be um, game-changing, right? Because a lot of films 
even the films at TIFF are technically not world premieres. Some of them I've did research. Uh, they were at Sundance or they were at uh, Milan or something like that, Berlin. But uh, it'd be so cool. Uh, just I'm just visualizing it. It'd just be so cool, like you know, to to have that uh, following, um, to have that uh, credibility, uh, that rapport mm-hmm. in the industry, and then people saying like, you know, where are you where are you premiering this film? And it's like I'm going to premiere it in my hometown. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people can enjoy and like see like where you came from, like uh, that there's talent here because there is. Right. And it's growing. I think it's increasingly high. Uh, when I was growing up, I didn't really feel it. Um, but now that I'm in the industry, like people like yourself, you know, just seeing you on LinkedIn. And what I enjoy about you is that it, you're a filmmaker, but you're not working like an accounting job. <laughs> you're like in the creative industry, right? Entertainment, um, like your job right now, Crypto Chicks. Yeah, yeah, I'm a video producer. Well, like I, um, like a lot of it is like me editing um, like some of the clips from like the events together or like making commercials right now. So it's, you know, like it's a commercial job, but I'm into that because I think like for like in, in the beginning, it's good to learn, you know, concepts and motion graphics and stuff like that because directors need to know motion graphics they need to know what looks good they need to know like graphics they need to know basically everything transitions yeah yeah they need to be good at visuals um it's something that i think especially like i know in, in in the earlier stages like i think people forget to think about transitions and like smooth like you know like from scene to scene and that's really important um and yeah like i think that sorry just to like yeah. quickly go back to the canadian thing like For when sure. i was younger i didn't feel as connected to canada and i was kind of just like oh la looks cool but i think the more i grew up <laughs> and the more i spend time around toronto the yeah. more i'm like and you know the more i see about like different places in canada i'm like i really love this country it's awesome it is amazing yeah. it deserves to have its own space you know like canada is I think one of the few countries where our not maybe not like few but like we are like our own um, films are not mainstream and that is insane to me like why are we counterculture in our own <laughs> yeah. country that doesn't yeah, make yeah. sense yeah it, it's so, so true yeah. Um, I'm yeah it's kind of like an obsession now for me to constantly think about how can I promote Canadian movies to my family and my friends how can I constantly yeah be like i don't know the the cheerleader for canadian film i want it to succeed and also in television i'm really happy with like i don't i haven't seen schitt's creek yet but i'm happy that you know it's being recognized in america that's really cool or like kim's convenience it's really cool that it was recognized in america and i think many other places as well from what i know i i think a lot of people enjoy that show um and i think that's really cool even uh yeah no exactly that uh even a uh, show like Letter Kenny. I don't know if it's as popular in the states, but uh, I know yeah. it was really well done. And you know, I hate to hate to shit on crap on uh, the industry, but in Canada, there are some films that I watch on Crave or whatever that it's like, why? How did they even end up here? Um, but then you'll see content like Shit's Creek and, um, like you said, Kim's Convenience and getting the recognition it deserves. Uh, Shit's Creek, you know that. When I hear stories like that, it's reassuring to me that, you know, anything is possible um, and it doesn't matter where you're from. Like you have that same concept, right? Of going to Los Angeles, making it blah, 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 right? That dream. 
but then you realize, you know, you can create content here and things will get recognized, yeah. especially how the technology is. Um, you know, Shit's Creek started off with CBC um, yeah. and then got picked up by Netflix. And then it even, it was a contender at the Emmys and Golden Globes and it won. So it's just like amazing to me that uh, the journey's long, you know, that's what a yeah. lot of people don't realize, right? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of filmmakers that I look up to as much as I want to be like by next year, like, yeah, uh, you know, walking the red carpet, doing all those things I told you about like TIFF. The reality is that it's going to be a journey because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of these filmmakers like Denis Villeneuve there, he's, um, he's like in his forties, you know, yeah. he's been doing it for a long time. Um, I'm 26 and I'm, you know, you're much, you're probably younger than me too. So it's going to take a while. Right. But I think if we just keep going at it, also, I should mention, you never know where life will take you. Um, because what I'm saying is like, I say in your forties, but look at Tarantino, right? I know he's an anomaly, but I believe, I believe there could be directors like that. Um, you could be hustling like throughout your twenties and then by 30 years old, you'll make your breakthrough. You're 31 and you'll be making different kind of content. Or like, I don't know um, if you know Firecrackers and Jasmine Mozafari, but you know, she's doing pretty well. And I believe she's, I'm, she's under 30, if I'm not mistaken. And wow. that's See? extremely impressive because yeah. she got a Netflix deal and she has a film that it was on Crave for a while, but also it played at TIFF. And, you know, a lot of people, like, like a lot of my peers, we look up to her, like she's really cool. Um, Cause she also came from Ryerson film. Um, I think that, you know, like just uh, like, especially like just putting in like the work for like directing because directing is like, you know, especially like working with actors and getting the right performance and knowing what actor is going to do it right. Um, Stuff like that. It just, it takes a lot of practice. Directing is a weird muscle, but you gotta, you know, you gotta work on it. And I think that um, it's like, definitely don't shoot yourself in the foot, like, or don't stop yourself from achieving what you can achieve, but also like, don't, like think that you have to do it right away like you're you're still young you know like I think that yeah. I, I see what you mean by that mm-hmm. no for sure and then and that's something I think as artists I don't know if you go through that like comparisons and uh you know just like looking at your point in your career like where you're at um I think it's a human tendency but you know you have to put into perspective again uh this is <laughs> this is a this is a journey like it mm-hmm. it's all about uh, opportunity and timing as well um, like you said, getting the right performance, getting the right story, executing it the right the way you see it, and uh, getting it into the right hands. So, yeah, it's uh, as long as you you love the process, right, and love the art of storytelling. I think uh, yeah, you you can't you can't do any wrong, um, you know. And uh, and we have like a lot of stories in our minds that are we probably want to execute. It reminds me when I took a master class with Scorsese. And he goes, uh, he starts the class off and he just says straight out, he's like, if you, if you want to be a director as a, um, as a career, uh, this class isn't for you, but if you're have an undying passion and a burning feeling to tell a story, to tell a story that's close to your heart, then this class might speak to you. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Like that's so bold and honest. That's yeah. so raw. Like a lot of people don't see it like that. Like he just flat out said, you know, don't take, don't, don't take my class. If you want to look at it as another job or you want to get rich or you want to be famous, look at it as because you want to tell your story. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So on that note, I want to say thank you again, Laura, 
Lauren, I should say, for coming on the podcast, uh, having this very insightful, thought-provoking conversation about <laughs> film. Uh, this is one of my best ones yet. Um, I always love, you know, diving into films and seeing different opinions. Uh, it was very interesting to hear your take uh, on on some films that uh, people have enjoyed, but also people that, you know, have seen it uh, quite differently, you know, a different angle. No, no, thank you. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this. Yes, that's amazing. Great. So uh, having said that, thank you again, Lauren. Thank you again, everybody, for listening. And we'll talk soon.